Hello, everybody, and welcome to Medics Minded Podcast. Thank you so much for coming out. Really appreciate it. As always, a very humble and appreciative thank you uh, for being here. Uh, it always means a lot to me. So thank you. Uh, this episode is just going to be me kind of talking. I have something that I, uh, I've been thinking about over the past couple of days, and uh, I think it's just something that I want to I want to discuss, I want to see what, kind of what your thoughts are on the on the matter, but I also have some things that I just want to say and get off my chest um, with relation to the topic topic at hand. Um, so a bit of backstory first as to how I, I started thinking about this. Uh, I had a friend reach out to me uh, via social media and uh, and he was telling me about a third person um, that he was that he's talking to. And this third person is a fellow veteran, um, but seems to be going through a bit of a tough time right now with relation to alcohol and addictions and uh, and trauma. And uh, this this person apparently has been through a rehabilitation center, but it didn't take as self-described by this person. And, uh, and so some of the reasons that he said it didn't take was that, um, he's not a religious person. He couldn't handle the religious, uh, tone towards, uh, AA, uh, or towards the, the, uh, the way you have to think and look at a higher power in order to get better. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to give up control saying that you're powerless and to, to think of a higher power. He just, he can't do it because he's not a religious person, doesn't believe in God or anything. And, um, and they got me to thinking about my own journey, uh, to getting to where I am right now and where I am right now is uh, almost six months sober, uh, as of next month, as of February, I'll be six months sober. Um, but how did I get there? What, I mean, because I'm not a religious person either. I am about as agnostic as you can possibly be. The reason I choose agnostic over atheism is because I feel like if I am an atheist, that means that I am telling other people that God does not exist. That's my interpretation. Like, that's how I view it. That's why it doesn't work for me. And the reason is not because I believe in God, because I I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in in any of that. But I also can't say with definitive accuracy that it's not true, that he doesn't exist, that he's not out there. I don't have that ability. And I feel like if I don't have the ability to definitively and factually say something and, and have tangible evidence to solidify that, then I really have no business in saying it as though it's 100% accurate. And it's not It's not something that's just fact. So I choose agnostic because I don't subscribe to any school of thought with relation to uh, religious uh, beliefs. So um, for me, I, I found the same thing when I first... So a bit of backstory, it took about eight months for my healthcare team to convince me to even think about going into a rehab facility before even contemplating that alcohol was a bit of an issue. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that my, my healthcare team, my therapist and my, uh, veterans, uh, caseworker are pretty experienced and they sort of know how to approach these things. And, uh, it came down to, to one day I was sitting in, in my therapist's office and I was sitting in the chair and, uh, very pointedly, she asked me, do you think you have a problem with alcohol? And uh, I, the the impulsivity to answer was one that would see me just saying, no, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I drink too much, sure, but I don't have a problem. And here's why. And I had all these reasons at the helm. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was going to say things like, you know, I, I'm not working right now. I'm a single guy. I live in a a big city. 
most aspects of single life within a city or social settings. Uh, alcohol sort of permeates every every aspect of those things. And so, yeah, I drink too much and, and I'm sad. So, of course, I drink. Now, while some of those things can be true contextually, you know, single life does have alcohol that is in certain situations. It doesn't pervade all aspects of single life. There are plenty of single activities that you can do without alcohol. Believe me, I know. I'm almost six months sober now, and I'm still single. Ladies? No, I'm just kidding. You ladies are crazy. Um, anyway, uh, it's, it, so I had those excuses at the ready. You know, I had all these reasons why why I didn't need to go to a treatment facility, why I didn't need to go and get help. And I'm doing air, like, you know, I doing air quotes as in like, you know, being sarcastic. Oh, I don't need help, you know? Uh, so what, what changed for me? Honestly, when that impulsive um, retort came to me and I was about to, I was about to release, I was about to say all those things to her, I, I had to stop for a minute. And I had to logically think about her question and my knowledge of what addiction is by way of definition and by way of um, anecdotal uh, exposure to, you know, with being a paramedic, you run across addiction quite often. And so taking that in context with the definition of addiction, which is uh, kind of loosely based Continuing to do that thing, even in the face of mounting consequence, you know, continuing that same vice, whatever that vice may be in the face of mounting consequence. So for me, what was my mounting consequence? Well, uh, 35 years old, my blood pressure was 163 over 112 on an average day. Uh, I was pushing 240 pounds at a six foot frame. Uh, I wasn't eating and my fridge was stocked with nothing but beer. So I was not looking after myself. Uh, I was drinking to fall asleep, which means that I was damaging my liver, uh, hurting my liver enzymes. Um, I became a criminal by way of definition. Um, I got a DUI in 2015 and, uh, subsequently pled guilty to, to that, uh, because it was the right thing to do. And, uh, and, and yeah, I ended up, I ended up with a criminal record. Uh, and then that, that wasn't enough to get me to put the bottle down. That wasn't enough to get me to stop. Um, I was working with the therapist prior to November of 2017. Um, you know, I, I began seeing her February of 2017 and, uh, I was, you know, dealing with her and, and talking about putting the bottle down and I was really trying and I was doing okay. I'm not going to say I was doing good. I'll say I was doing okay. I was, I was putting it down for longer periods of time than what I had been prior to therapy. But then November happened and my mother died by way of suicide. And I was hung over the day that I found out my mother had died. Uh, and I mean, really hung over. Um, and the day after my, like the day after I had found out, I dove into a bottle and I stayed in that bottle until August of 2018, August 12th of 2018 is when I went into Bellwood, uh, or August 13th, sorry, is when I went into 
um, Bellwood Rehabilitation Center for uh, Alcohol and Addictions. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't easy. Uh, but when I was sitting in, in her chair after she had asked me that question, you know, do you, do you think you have a problem? And I, I, you know, putting the impulsivity aside, I had to say, you know, in, in fairness, yeah, I think so. I think I do because I'm continuing to do all these terrible things with relation to alcohol. I'm, I'm slowly, uh, you know, I'm slowly killing myself. Basically, uh, I'm hurting my, my body. I'm doing nothing good, uh, with relation to being able to concentrate in therapy. I'm too hungover most of the time. And, uh, I have a criminal record and none of those things have been enough. Even with the exposure of being a paramedic and seeing what alcohol does in excess, None of those things were enough for me to put the bottle down. And so, uh, although I didn't have, you know, uh, the other classical symptoms of alcoholic or alcoholism, you know, I never needed to drink in the morning. I could go two, three, four days without a drink, uh, you know, things like that. But those things, those things are there because they're the normative. There are such, you know, there are examples, like, you know, um, there are exceptions to every everything in life and alcoholism is, is no different. And so for a while I was letting those, those things that I wasn't doing to lead the way in, in saying, I'm, I don't have a problem. But when I truly sat down after she asked it, that very pointed question, um, I, I had to, I had to dissect myself, uh, and I had to say, yes, yes, I have a problem. And so fast forward to August of 2018 when I was in Bellwood, um, I had never been to an, I knew conceptually what AA was. Uh, I, you know, basically I knew about it from movies and TV, whatever I'd seen on, on TV and movies. That was my understanding of AA. That was my understanding of what Alcoholics Anonymous was. And so, and, and TV doesn't do anything justice, really. They romanticize everything, right? So they romantic, they, they gorify gore. Uh, they romanticize, uh, addictions, you know, the, you know, the, the forlorn, handsome man who, uh, shouldn't drink, but he's staring at the bottle and, you know, something bad happened in his life throughout the movie, you know, his girl died or left him or, you know, whatever. And so he takes that one drink and the audience goes, Oh no. But then afterwards his life is still okay. That's not how that works, uh, at all. It's just not. Um, so, the, you know, there's there's really nothing romantic about it. Um, but I, you know, those were my basic understandings of AA. And I knew logically that things would be different than that, right? I don't live in a movie land. I knew things would be different. I just didn't know how different. And so my first couple of AA meetings, I was like, oh, man, I can't do this shit. You know, I'm not religious. I don't believe in any of this God stuff. And, and. You know, a lot of it does have to do uh, with God because it, it is conceptualized from uh, a religious background. But, but, there's a caveat there. But, these things have been empirically proven. The 12 steps have been empirically and historically proven to work. Should you follow them? Should you go through them? Uh, and, and you don't have to do, like, you do it in your own way, in your own, in your own fashion, at your own pace. But they've been proven to work whether you are a religious man or woman or not. Uh, you don't have to find God. You don't have to find religion in order to go to AA, in order to uh, you know, find some 
some relief from from uh, you know your your demons that lead to alcohol. And I kept hearing the term higher power, find your higher power, which is something that this friend of mine said that this this veteran is having a hard time with because he he the way he uh, looks at a higher power, he goes, you know, I don't I don't believe in God, I don't believe in any of that, you know, it's just me, I have to work through this stuff, I have to do that. And the thing about a higher power that I came to learn was that higher power, uh, erroneously for a lot of us, uh, is is the idea of God or Jesus or some sort of religious figure, and that's uh, that's not what it's intended to be. At least not now in the modern era, it's not intended to be that. For me, uh, one day things just clicked for me, and my higher power is time. That's my higher power, time. So let me explain a little bit about that and how I came to it. So time is my higher power. What I mean when I say that is when it came to deciding that I needed to go into an alcoholic rehabilitation center to deal with my issues with alcohol, I needed time to come to that conclusion you know, the, the therapist and the healthcare team knew it way ahead of time that I needed to go in. But if they were to sit down and say, you need to go in, you need, and, and lecture, the chances are I'm going to rear up, I'm going to dig in, and I'm not going to fucking go anywhere. And that's, it's not like a purposeful thing. It's just, you know, these things are, you have to finesse them. And, uh, you know, it was like that on the ambulance too, even convincing people to go to the hospital sometimes, people that really needed to go. You have to finesse them. If you order them, you know, just like, you know, any human really, if you order them without, you know, that person being, you know, you know, incredibly super um, influential in your life, uh, your, your chances are you're going to you're going to fight back. You're going to protest. And uh, so I needed time to accept the fact that, you know what, Doc, I need to go in. I'll concede. I'll do it. Let's go. So that's that was time to go in. And then when I was in Bellwood and the days started to stack atop of one another and I was progressing through the program and I was progressing near to the end of, of getting out, through that time, through that 42 days, that six-week period, time taught me that in that that the things that things will and can get better that what I feel when I get really amped up and I get really sad in time that will pass. And it doesn't mean it's a long time. You know, when people say yeah, in time, right? We sometimes, at least me, I think, oh, okay, they're telling me in a, in a while, in a long time, it's going to go away. Well, I want it to go away now. But I found that, you know, there were moments, it was moment to moment. You know, one moment I could be completely anathematized by grief in thinking about something. Um, one incident that happened there was uh, there was a call for paramedics. Paramedics had to come and deal with a, a per- and when I was in Bellwood. Paramedics had to come and deal with somebody that was uh, in Bellwood um, for a medical issue. And when the paramedics showed up, it was one of my former partners, somebody that I worked with and somebody that's on my Facebook, somebody that I know quite well. And uh, instinctually, when I saw him walk through the doors, I started to walk towards him because I was going to go and help. You know, like I had that thing where I was like, oh, okay. 
this guy's he's wearing a uniform. This is my partner. He's uh, okay. What do you need? What do you want me to grab? Right? Or hey, what hospital should we take her to? It my brain went back into that medic mode, and then it was as I took a few steps towards. I turned around for a second, and I was like, oh nope, nope, nope. I'm not a medic. I'm not working. But then I started thinking, oh geez, man, like here's this guy. Okay, here's this guy. I used to work with him. Here's this guy. Uh, he's you know he's, he's an amazing, amazing medic and uh, an incredibly funny man. Yeah, in just in life in general, somebody that I I respect quite a bit, and somebody that I was somewhat equal to at one point in life. At least that's how I was in the moment. That's how I was viewing it. And then I thought, but I'm the only one in rehab right now. He's in the rehab center, but he's here to help. And what the fuck am I doing? And so I broke down. I sat, I went upstairs. I broke down and I started crying. And I, I was like, man, I'm, I'm useless. I'm nothing. This is terrible. I, I don't know why I, I fucking hate my life. I don't want to be here. This is, nothing is good about this. Why, why, why? But in time, as in, you know, matter of minutes, more, it was closer to like an hour or so, but I mean, it, time, it passed. The next morning I woke up and I was okay. I was able to go to class. I was able to focus. I was able to, I was able to start dissecting things a little bit as time progressed. Now, fast forward to getting out of Bellwood. Day one, when I got out of Bellwood, that's when I'm outside the bubble. They call it the Bellwood bubble, which is safe. You can't drink there, obviously, and you have a lot of resources and stuff in place to help you not drink. Um, but now I'm now I'm on my own. You know, I'm coming home to an empty apartment. I live kind of in a bar district, uh, and I have a lot of places that I used to go to regularly, and people that I would consider friends that work there. And I was on day one. Day one of being set loose into the world with a sober mind. Well, day one turned into day two, and day two to day three, and day three to day four, until now, almost six months later. Um, and in that time, I have come to, to appreciate that every and any given moment is subject to change. So when I'm really, when I'm really sad, I know that eventually it's going to pass. Now I generally operate kind of sad. I'm kind of depressed in general. I don't take pharmacological interventions for that, but I'm not quite as dark as I used to be. The ceiling or the, the cellar floor isn't quite as low as it used to be. Um, but there are times like getting out of bed is kind of a chore and not just like chore because you're tired and you'd rather stay in bed. I mean, Interacting with the world is a chore. There are days I legitimately have to convince myself to do it. And, uh, and it's not, it's not easy, uh, by any means, but time helps any given moment helps because you know what? I could go outside and get, get a smile from a really, you know, really pretty girl passing by just smiles at me. I'm like, Oh, geez, do I look good today or something? Like what's going on? Right. Like it's, you know, something like that. Or, or the lady that this, the, the cashier, when you're getting your coffee is just super friendly or the guy is, tells a funny joke, you know, and you're like, oh man, that's kind of funny. And, and all of a sudden outside doesn't suck quite, quite as bad. 
And those are moment to moment. Those are times. Those are little stackings of time. And so for me, when I have those moments where I really want to drink, like I did on Remembrance Day, you know, when I was thinking about my mom and I was thinking about the boys and I really wanted to drink, I was in a lot of pain. I wanted it to go away and I just wanted to go and sit down and have a beer. And I had that voice in my head lying to myself, telling myself that I could do that, that you could just go have a beer, take the edge off. When in reality, all that beer is, is a gate to allow more beers in. That's all it is. And that's all that would have happened. And then I would have woke up the next day feeling more shame, more embarrassment, more self-loathing. And I probably would have drank that away too. And then I would have reverted back to where I was six or eight months ago. You know, the one thing that I always say uh, when I'm talking about this to, to either my therapist or to people in general is that when I was drinking, when I was in that place where I was drinking a lot all the time with, with staccato, I had forgotten what it was like to be sober, to be well and truly sober. I'd forgotten what that was. But in being sober, I remember what it is like to be drunk very vividly. And I fucking hate it. I hate it because I wasn't doing it, I'm going to say properly, because people can drink. I just wasn't doing it right. And I, I certainly wasn't in a good place. So uh, that's, that's, you know, that's when I say properly, it's, you know, I'm not saying that I, I can go drink properly once I get to a different, that's not what I mean. Uh, I just mean that there are people that can utilize alcohol normally. I just wasn't one of them. Uh, I was using it very, very, very much as a medication, but time, time is the one thing that has helped me day to day. It's the one thing that's kept, it's the one thing that's kept me sober, um, is quite literally and figuratively time. So for me, my higher power is time. I don't subscribe to the, the the thoughts of Jesus and of God and the religious nature of it. Yes, there are, like I said before, religious undertones. But when when this twelve step thing was conceptualized back, uh, you know, back all those years ago, it was a different time. It was a very different time, and religious, uh, you know, beliefs were, were a very different thing. They permeated more aspects of society. There weren't niche uh, markets of of religion as there is today. You know, it was more of a ubiquitous thing. It was kind of everywhere. And uh, so uh, for me, uh, when I use logic brain to say, okay, well, yeah, but these things can still help. It's like a church. You know, you don't have to go to that church in order to get help from the church. The church can still help you out monetarily uh, or, you know, helping you with food or, or whatever. Like churches do a bunch of stuff for the community uh, and they're not just giving it to the Christians or the, the you know, or the, the Jews or, or the Muslims or whatever. Like there's these, they, they do stuff for community, right? So when I started to look at things and go, okay, yes, this may have been conceptualized with religious backing. Uh, and the guy that founded it may have a, a deep religious belief and I do not. So how is this going to work? How are they going to transpose these 12 rules, uh, onto me? Well, pretty fucking easily. You just got to open your mind a bit. And that's what I found as time went on. I was able to open my mind a bit more. I was able to be a little more receptive. And that helped me tremendously because, you know, if I had resigned myself to the one school of thought by saying, this isn't going to work for me because I don't believe in God, because I don't believe in Jesus, because I don't believe in religion, period, this isn't going to work for me. Therefore, I need something different. To me, 
that's just a, the, another excuse on top of the ones that I would say before, such as I'm single, single life, you know, there's alcohol. It's the same. It's an, it's another doing air quotes. It's another, but right. That's all it is. It's just a way to continue doing what we were doing or what we have done to put us in this bad place. So when it comes to higher powers, anybody out there who's struggling with a higher power, struggles with the spirituality of, uh, of AA or with, you know, alcohol treatment facilities and programs, try and, and see if you can, you know, it worked for me. What I did, like, that's honestly all I did was I started looking at time. I started looking at time day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, class by class, lecture by lecture. And the more things, the more of those that stacked up, the more time stacked up as well. It's just the nature of things, right? We don't control the hands on the clock. They control us, right? To a degree. They don't control our actions. They just control how far we're moving, right? So, and I don't mean, I'm saying that wrong, but, you know, basically we don't, time doesn't slow down for us, right? Is what I'm saying. So we could take things at our own pace, we don't have to be at somebody else's pace. We don't have to be at the pace of the clock. Things are at our own pace. All of this that I'm doing now, the six months of, of non-sobriety and the reasons behind my sobriety, or six months of sobriety, not non-sobriety, six months of sobriety and and where I'm at right now, uh, are all at my own pace. Everything is at my own pace. And, you know, thinking about um, time over over the entity of Jesus or God or whatever that, whatever we deem spirituality to be, which spirituality can mean so many different things. It doesn't just have to mean a person or, or the you know, uh, steeped in religious. Like spirituality is so broad, you know, it doesn't have a real true definition of one thing to the other. It means something different to to anybody or to everybody. And for me, that helped me immensely with being receptive to what they were teaching me, to what they were trying to show me when I was in there. And once I became receptive, once I slowed down and I really gave myself time to digest what it is they were showing me and what it is that I, that what they wanted me to learn, I started to, and I was able to take it home with me. And when I took it home with me, I was able to, I was able to gnaw on it on those nuggets of knowledge day by day by day up until now, up until right here in this moment. And um, this all started coming about for me because last evening, this friend of mine reached out to me and said, Hey, um, do you mind helping me out with this guy? Can you, can like he's off? He's said, I can give you his number. Will you call him? Will you talk to him? Um, Cause you know, I'm not getting anywhere. And impulsively, much like when I was sitting in the chair, and I was impulsively going to do something wrong by saying, no, I'm fine. I don't have a problem. I was, just, I was impulsively going to phone the guy because instinctually somebody's in, in trouble. I need to help. That's what a medic does. That's what I'm trained to do. And that's what I wanted to do. And so I, I took this guy's number down and I was going to call this complete stranger who is probably in a very dark, dark place. And I don't really know how much help I could be right now, but I, I ended up hesitating for just a moment and it sucked because I felt really selfish because what I said was no, I said, I, I can't right now because I, 
in the past, I have worn other people's trauma as my own and it has hurt me. It has injured me. It has gotten me to a place where I needed help. Things stuck too much to me and I just don't think I'm healthy enough right now or strong enough right now to be able to be a, to be a pillar for someone else to lean on healthily. Because if I'm not, if, if you rest something against a weak pillar and that pillar falls, you've both, you've both fallen down. You know, it's like the medic running out under fire to help one of his buddies and he gets hit. Now they're both down and the entire unit is left medicless and with another casualty, two casualties. So you can't, you can't go running out impulsively, but the thing is, it made me feel selfish and I'm petrified of being selfish, petrified of it. I don't, I hate the thought of being selfish and I hate it even more so because that was the last thing my mother ever called me was selfish. My mother died in November of 2017 and in October, two weeks before, um, she had sent me a text and, uh, we were talking and having this heated discussion via text. And she said, you are very selfish. This will be the very last time you ever hear from me. And I, I kept trying to text her after that, um, to no, to no avail. And two weeks later, my mother was, uh, my mother was dead. So my, the last words that I, that I have from my dear mom was that I was selfish and, and, uh, you know, I, I pet, I'm petrified now of ever being selfish. Even taking a compliment to me feels selfish. It feels like I'm, you know, being narcissistic, uh, being egotistical, you know, it doesn't feel right to me. And so I was, I was just going to run into fire. I was going to run out under machine gun fire and try and help this guy. But I said no. And then when I said no, I sent my therapist to text me. I, I did a screenshot of what I had written and I sent it to her and said, is, am I selfish right now? And of course uh, I, I knew I, I had hoped or I kind of knew that she would say no, because I mean, who's going to call you selfish via text, but I don't, you know, I'm still petrified of it. And, um, and I, I, I'm still worried that maybe I'm being selfish by not doing this by, by having the, some skills to go and help both by being a paramedic and both by having, you know, very early sobriety, but having, having the will and the urge to help, you know, being a paramedic, I have some skill sets with relation to active listening and, and I've had some exposure to, you know, people in dark places and alcoholics and drug addicts and, and all, all manner of things, you know, but I, I just, I'm, I, I just, I don't know. I still, I, I worry that because I said no, that because I said I, I can't right now, I worry in my own, in my own head. I'm like, oh man, maybe you are a selfish piece of shit. Maybe you really are. But my only hope is that in time, in time, I will learn that I'm not, that I'm not selfish, that all I'm doing is protecting myself, that I'm staying in cover the way I was taught to. Doesn't matter who's out there. Doesn't matter if it's Bowman out there. Doesn't matter if it's Wong out there. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if it's Bull or Caballo. It doesn't matter who's out there. I need to be behind cover. I can't run out when when the bullets are flying, when the when the darkness is coming in. I can't run out because if I do, I've killed us both. And I need to I need to believe that that training, that that school of thought isn't selfish but necessary. And you know, I, 
I feel for the guy, I feel for the veteran, but uh, if he was anything like me, he won't be ready for anything until he's ready. Because as much as my my healthcare team knew that I needed to go into uh, alcohol and addictions treatment facility long before I did, they didn't push until I was ready. They didn't push till I was ready because they knew that they couldn't. They couldn't because if you're not ready, you're not ready. And if you are ready and you and you're still struggling with the higher power, the higher power doesn't mean some other you know religious entity. It just means something different, something other than yourself, because ourselves have gotten us to the point where we need that that little extra help, that little extra push. That's where it's gotten us. And, you know, clearly, clearly us, we, we need some help. So when you, when you, if we could concede to saying the words, I need some help, right? Hey, can you help me lift this? Hey, can you help me move today? Hey, can you help me? I need to ride after, after work or whatever. Then we could say, Hey, I need some help. Can you, can you help me with my life, please? That's a concession and, and a good one. It's not a weakness. It's not a, it's, you haven't failed anything. In fact, you've just started to, to succeed. Uh, that's how it feels for me anyway. When I said yes, when I said yes to her in that office, do you know what I did after I said yes in the office? I, I went and had a beer. I went and got drunk because I was like, oh, I'm a drunk. And then I got drunk. So clearly, I'm not good at decisions. <laughs> Clearly. But now here I am six months later or almost six months later, clean mind, sober veins and hopeful. That's something that I never would have been before. Hopeful. And I have hope that in time I will learn that I'm not selfish. And in time, the higher power of time will teach me how to be happy again, will teach me how to smile again, will teach me how to be Matthew again. And my friend, if you're out there listening, all you need is time. That's all. I'm going to play a song for you, my friend. I, I heard this a little while back and uh, it um, it's, it's lyrics are pretty powerful and uh, I really enjoy it um, for not because it's a happy, upbeat song, um, but because it's a song that, that resonates. Um, and I, I think that whoever listens to this, uh, you may be able to get something from it too. So I'm going to play it for you now. And I'm going to bid you guys all a good day. I wish you all the best. Be safe. Be warm. And above all, keep talking to each other. Tell me what is making you feel blue. Tell me what is hurting you I know that you're the brave one Keeping it all in And holding it together But we're all here for you 
So set it fire to the world Just to let it know you're hurting Set it fire to the night Just to look at something brighter Than you feel Tell me what is making you feel blue Smiling now, but I can see right through I've been there before, man And I know how you feel The truth hurts when you find out You lost your nerve of steel And so set a fire to the world Just to let it know you're hurting Just to look at something brighter Than you feel Than you feel And time will heal Oh wounds I know that's hard to heal Just to look at something brighter than